When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Courtside Fracker, the 50th episode of Courtside Fracker. Something of a milestone for us guys here. Thank you for all the love, all the likes, all the listens uh, that, have, that have been bestowed upon us so far. We appreciate every single one. Uh, it's, it's, it's tough out here starting new pods and everything like that, especially when we're working with the time zones that we are. So every single listener, every person who's engaging on the Twitter, on the Insta, love for that. Hope you've enjoyed it and we will be back and better after the All-Star break. But let's get straight into it. Myself, Yassin, James, YJ, I am joined this week by... Mr. Sai Fuller, Mr. Fundamentals, Young Duncan. Sai, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. I found a basketball court during lockdown, so I've been I've been on the blacktop. And Sai, I know from our private conversations, you, like me, like Canyon, have, have put on a bit of timber, a bit of derby that we yeah, uh, need to get rid of as well. Jeez. Thankfully, I'm, 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 I'm smooth, but I'm, I'm a bit loose still. Well, Jeff... El Jefe, the Bricks God, Mr. Four Point Play, also joining me this week. You you, you decided to put your biceps on camera this week, so I, clearly you've been doing the home workouts and that, not like us, man. Oh, man, please, 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 man. Oh, you started already. What does that mean? I'm just welcoming you to the 50th episode, Jeff. We've we decided, you know what, let's get Mr. Bricks God on. Four yeah, point play. the guns out for the 50th episode. Gun show, straight gun show for the 50th episode. All right, straight into, straight into the news. Uh, I mean, look, we are on the All-Star break now, so it's, it's a perfect time for this episode where we're going to do basically a half-season review, looking at everything that has come before. Wednesday's episode is going to be everything that is coming up. So we're going to be looking forward towards the second half of the season. Main bit of news, I guess, which has broke, which everyone's kind of discussed on the Twitter, is Mr. Blake Griffin. So Blake Griffin... Um, has agreed a buyout with the Detroit Pistons. Now, obviously, Blake's name is maybe bigger than his level of play has been this year. It's been a bit of a painful sight seeing some of the physical limitations he's got after so many injuries for someone who was such a dynamic player in their day. Uh, Blake has put $13.3 million back on the table and let the Detroit Pistons have that. Automatically, he's picked up his $38.9 million player option by being waived for this buyout. So anyone who's a fan of tanking, get on Detroit next year. They're taking that cap hit straight away. So they're going to suck again in a year. Uh, I guess they're just waiting until all their young guys come through and are actually offering something. But Griffin is available away from all that cap stuff. He is available probably on the cheap. The favorites allegedly are the Brooklyn Nets to sign Blake because, you know, they're just signing everybody who is a bit old, who wants to win a ring, who is friends with one of Durant, Harden or Kyrie. 
But the Lakers have been mentioned. Even the Celtics have been mentioned. I, I don't see him jo- joining us at all. Um, look, put simply, what, what can Blake offer, Jeff? And is he still someone that a contender should be looking at to put them over the hill? We know size sort thoughts as a Nets fan, not really wanted him. Why is he wrong if he is? Um, well, the Nets need interior defence, which he's not going to give. I know they got Claxton, who looks pretty good. Blake, he's only 31. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not buying it. I think he's actually shot. Like, those knees look like they, they, everything about his game is no balance whatsoever. He's only 31 as well, so I think he's too young to have lost all dunking ability from, from being arguably like the most, the balanciest um, NBA player we've seen of all time to not being able to dunk at all. Like I saw Russ dunk the other day, so I mean, yeah, uh, unless unless this is a bit of a, a ruse and he was, you know, just uh, tanking himself in Detroit, I'm pretty sure he's done. As a bench piece, he'd probably be like proper nice, but if he's going to go in somewhere and they're going to expect him to be like a, a proper, you know, old Blake, 20 and 10 kind of guy, like, I don't see it at this point. So I know, I know you share the same sentiment. Is there at least something there where he's rounded his abilities, he can shoot better than he could previously, he can still do a little bit of playmaking, he's got experience, whether or not that experience is what you really want. Um, is there still something there to benefit from getting Blake in? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we can um, leave it there, to be honest. <laughs> we can leave it nah. there, just a no. Well, if it's a good omen, you didn't really want harder ever, and that's worked out all right, so... Anyway, moving, moving. Another little bit of news. Adam Silver's kind of talked uh, publicly at All-Star Weekend, everything like that. And it kind of just... The overhanging, overbearing cloud of this season has been COVID. So Silver has said that they're not going to return to a bubble or there is no plans to return to a bubble for the playoffs, which I kind of always thought they were gearing towards. It's let's get through the regular season as best we can. And then after the success of a bubble last season, let's do another bubble for the playoffs. He said, we're not considering going back to a bubble right now. But they also said back pocket, they're not ruling anything out. Um, And he's also said that there's not going to be any league mandate on players to get vaccinated, which I guess is right, the right thing to do. Um, you would have thought with all the money at stake, maybe they might have sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's definitely better for you to do. What could you see as being a problem, say, if like, let's say half the league are just a little bit anti-vax and are just like, nah. And then you have half the league who are vaccinated and, and half the league who aren't. How, how are the league going to sort of amend health and safety protocols to reflect that? Will the people who have been vaccinated get pissy that they still have to do all this restricted stuff? because of the other half who maybe don't want to do it. Do you think it's something that, as problematic as it is, the league should maybe mandate, considering what's at stake? Or is it good as it is? Uh, I'd say it would probably be the most responsible thing for them to do, is to to make the suggestion and sort of usher people down that route. But again, it, it, would, it would play into some of the sort of human rights type of uh, complaints that some of the players have come come forth with um, the bubble situation probably would have been their go-to had it not been for players basically describing it as feeling like they were, they were slaves by lack of a better term. So, so yeah, it, it is a tricky one. The, the league have to accommodate the players as much as they accommodate the product. 
Um, and it is a tricky balance to try and find. Um, I just hope it doesn't totally get derailed and we don't have players missing for long stretches during the playoffs because, again, we as fans, we just want to see the best product and we want to see the most competitive game. So I'm hoping they get it right because, yeah, the bubble is a good good situation for us, but not so much for the players. A lot of a lot of uh, arenas now are sort of sneaking fans back in, and and I think it's almost half the league have got some degree of fans now, um, and they've sort of got two thousand, three thousand into sort of eighteen, twenty thousand capacity stadiums. Not quite the same thing. How do you think the season has been so far? Just generally as a season and then what role do you think the lack of fans has had on that because I know one thing for example I think six teams currently are on pace to be six of the best offenses of all time there's there's a lot of sort of chat about sinking threes in empty gyms is very different to sinking it in an arena full of hecklers and and berators and all of this sort of stuff so how do you think the season's been and and if good or bad what impact do you think the empty arenas has had on that? Yeah, so for me, for me, you can definitely see that some players are playing with a uh, increased level of freedom. Uh, there's less pressure on them. There's players that maybe like if we look at say the New York Knicks, for example, um, they've been fantastic all season. They're intent on the. They're basically just not playing with that sort of Madison Square Garden tax that comes on New York Knicks teams. Um, other teams, if you if you look at, say, Brooklyn, for example, again, they don't have to play defense a lot of the time because of the fact that nobody's really going to scream and demand effort. Um, so I think it works, it works for a lot of teams that are in the bigger markets, I would say, just by virtue of the fact that that pressure just isn't as as prevalent. For some of the smaller teams, they might struggle to to win close games. Um, I mean, pretty much if you look at if you look at the standings, they are pretty much where you would expect them to be in terms of, if you look at teams like the Thunder or the Rockets, teams that are renowned for having quite a fan base that drives the team on, even when they're not at their best, they seem to be struggling a little bit. So uh, it's, it's, it's definitely prevalent. We'll, we'll see how that affects in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, you touch on something there. That, I mean, I've been to the Barclays Centre. I don't think those fans would be too demanding anyways. It's more like a fun day out, really. But, uh, but um, <laughs> you know, certain certain basketball heritage isn't quite there in Brooklyn yet. Um, but do you think people are coasting a little bit in terms of it's easier to just not have those people on your back? I think, I, th I can't remember the exact numbers, but there was a, definitely a point where, there was definitely a point where comebacks just weren't really happening as, as often. Like if you were down 20, you were down 20 and you were probably going to yeah. end up down 20. Do you think just... Now with at least 3,000 fans going in, some players have mentioned that it does make a difference. And then, like you said, the play-in stuff. Do you just think teams have been coasting a little bit and it being a bit of an asterisk season of everyone's missed someone, except for everyone's missed a bunch of players for health and safety. I think the only people who haven't really been hit by health and safety are the Lakers and the Jazz. I don't think the Suns have too, too much. Um, I think everyone everyone's really been hit by health and safety in some way. So do you think, this season is what it is and they're waiting for postseason. Yeah, 100%. It's the only thing really that that would even make sense for all parties considered. Um... Yeah, just before we sort of go into just our hits, misses, surprises and disappointments of the season, playing games for me have, have done their job a little bit in that 
everyone's competitive, at least still now. Like Detroit, Houston, maybe Sacramento. Uh, they're three of maybe just four teams who are really, really out of the season now. Like people were talking about the trade market and, oh, we could nick him from Chicago. We could nick him from OKC. We could nick him. No, you can't because these teams are still within three games of two games even of the playoffs. So do you think that's something that needs to stay, this sort of seven to ten playing tournament that's just been introduced this year? I think so, yeah, because um, there's a lot of the young talent in, in the NBA who do play in those sort of middle-of-the-road teams that maybe won't naturally make one of the top eight seeds but will be in and around those sort of uh, playing spots. We saw it last year with... Uh, Devin Booker, we saw it with John Morant, we saw it with all of these sort of players who led their team to within touch and distance of the play-in uh, or the playoff spots, we should say, and just about missed it. So I think incentivizing those guys and really, really starting to bolster and leverage that young talent leadership uh, of these, these sort of franchises that are in transition will just make it so those players, A, develop more and also have something to play for, even even when their team isn't stacked to the rafters with with talent. So um, moving forward, I definitely think they should keep it. It just keeps things competitive for longer and gives us a bit more of a spotlight for some of the talent that would otherwise go un, unrecognised. I hear that, I hear that. Right, so look, moving on, they're, they're, like Jeff said, there's, there's not been as many games that are swing in and there's not been as many moments maybe as there is in a normal season but there's still been a lot of surprises um potentially helped by the topsy-turvy nature of some rosters and there's been some big 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 disappointments as well so just sticking with you Sai, one or two teams who are your big positives to come out of this season so far like who have you gone into this season absolutely taken aback by how well they've done it's gotta be the new york knicks I can't lie. Um, obviously, the Tibbs addition was a massive was a massive uh, boost for them. Uh, you know what you're going to get with Tibbs. You're going to get grit and grind, defense-focused basketball where everybody is expected to just bust a gut. Um, and having a team like New York finally embrace their team, uh, like the fans in New York actually embracing them and really happy with where they stand and the team itself building a culture, um, it's good for the it's good for the league. Ultimately, um, the Atlantic Division in the East is probably where all of the contending teams are. And over the last maybe decade, give or take, the New York Knicks have been a little bastard of of, of that division. So to see the full division very very competitive and every team vying for a playoff spot, it's good to see, man. I, I'm I'm a, I'm a big proponent of rivalry as well. So. If we do end up meeting them in the, in the playoffs, it'll be box office stuff to see us putting the hurting on the New York Knicks. Um, so yeah, credit to them. They've they've got they've got talented pieces now. Uh, the likes of Julius Randle, uh, Emmanuel Quickly. Like these guys are playing high level basketball. It's enjoying to watch, enjoying to watch as a neutral. Um, but when it does come playoff time, I do feel like there'll be a team that can cause some problems. And we'll just boost the entertainment. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about them in terms of talent-wise to to win a series, but it won't be an easy series for anyone, really. Exactly. They're going to be a fucking nightmare to have to put up with, and they won't 
give you an inch or anything. Jeff, I know that you are pretty buzzing to see the Knicks do well as well. So what are your thoughts on 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 New York and Randall? I guess as a as a former Laker who who's finally delivering on promise. Yeah, it's, it's more Randall for me. Um, just because there was a point where I wasn't too sure how his career was going to go. Um, if he was more of like a Swiss Army knife than to come off the bench like Lamar Oldham, or if we had the actual... Randall's ability was never in question. It's just, for instance, his arms are kind of like T-Rex. So defensively, they weren't sure how good he was going to be. Offensively, he was like a bit of a Tasmanian devil. But I'm remembering the Randall from like, oh, 16, 15. That's the Randall I'm remembering in my brain. But the one that's come along, I didn't see him get to this point, especially the three-point shot that he's delivered, uh, developed. But it's just, for me anyway, it's just been a pleasure to watch him get to a point where he's a legitimate all-star. Like, he's one of the better players in the league. It's a testament to his hard work to go with the talent, especially when he kind of moved from... I can't remember where it was he went first before he went to the next. Was it the Pelicans? He was somewhere first uh, before he went to the Knicks, And it was like... Yeah, we're at the point now where we don't know what Julius Randle's meant to be. Like, how good he's going to be, where he's going to be able to get to so far as, you know, like I said, is it a six-man kind of thing? Is it just a, 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 a decent player on the bad team? Can he actually be of value to a good team? I think right now he's proven that he might not be a franchise player, good, but he's, he's, he's a big piece. And, and yeah, that's, that's been fun to watch. Uh, quickly, he's really good. Um, Dibs as well, he's obviously hard, you know, got them playing hard. Uh, Rose, uh, when he went to New York, I, I was like, I want to see him on the contender. I don't really want to see him, see him go to, to New York. So I was a bit like, oh, I don't see the point in that move. Dibs loves this guy too much. But I get it. It's veteran leadership for some young PGs they have. Um, Dibs obviously wants to be good or at least put a competitive product out there. And I get that the Knicks probably want that, otherwise they wouldn't have gone and got dibs. So all in all, I think it's all coming together pretty well. And it's ironic that they're doing so whilst there's no fans in, in, in MSG to, to heckle them in five minutes. So maybe that's something for New York fans to, to pay attention to. Yeah, I mean, there were scenes on Twitter of people sort of spilling out of a bar on the road in New York on Fifth Avenue or something just because they got above 500, which yeah. is hilarious. Um, but imagine the place when they when they get a big win. Yeah, so they're finishing halfway at the halfway point. They are fifth in the East. Obviously, it's a very crowded East, but fifth in the East for New York Knicks halfway through the season is a massive testament. And you speak on Randall at the Pelicans, like it's easy to forget just how quick the turnaround is as well. In that he signed with New York that summer where they were expecting a Zion Kyrie yeah. perfect summer, and then they their big their big marquee signing was Randall for 20 million, who was not the Randall who is now a bona fide all-star. And even, even in that one and a half year, that's, that's a massive turnaround. So, so big for Randall. Go on, Jeff, tell me another team that surprised you. I know that you have one who you have your eye on that I have talked about on this podcast for time. Every time I get a chance to talk about Lamelo's Hornets, I get, I get, I get giddy and I get excited. So, just let's just reflect on how fun they've been. I think for me, more than anything, when it comes to, to the Hornets, is that they're good. Like they're legitimately good. It's not that they're 
just fun because fun is, is is good but fun doesn't always win you games and I think the Hornets have been down bad for long enough that they're probably thinking MJ's probably thinking I've had enough of this drafting crap and all of that I just want to be good I can't remember the last time the Hornets were in the playoffs it feels like it's been at least four years maybe five since Wade was heckled by that fan and up hitting the shot that I think sent them home the following game so that's been a good four or five years maybe even more uh, since the Hornets were in the playoffs, since the Hornets were even a good team. Um, and I know a lot of people felt like when they traded Kemba, that was the end of them as a franchise. But I guess it just goes to show that every franchise in the NBA has a chance at, you know, being a Phoenix almost, like just rising from the ashes and, and being a good team. It's just about drafting well, but also then putting the right players around them. And that's one thing I didn't think the Hornets had, the right players around them, but around the young talent that is. But Hayward's been really good. Biombo's been good uh, so far as like you know an older big to PJ who I like a lot. Um, I like their their wing combination of size and handlers. Um, it'd be easy to forget that Lamelo and 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 Hayward are both six eight six seven. Um, obviously Terry's pretty small and so is Devontae who I think they're going to trade. But generally he's, speaking, Terry, Terry Rose is small, but he's probably one of the best rebounding guards in the league. He's, he's yeah, yeah, yeah. Up. He gets up. He gets up. And then obviously they've got they've got MB Miles Bridges, who I think is one of the top ten perimeter defenders in the league. So they've got size. They've got competitive like spirit. They're not just playing as young boys. Like even when Lamelo talks, Malik Monk, when these boys are talking, they're talking the way where you, you. It's not that it's just fun for them. They have like a burning desire to actually be good. And that's one thing I like in young teams more than anything. It's not just that you want to be there and you want to give them highlights and then maybe go on to get a big payday somewhere else. Those guys want to make Charlotte, oh, not Charlotte, sorry. Well, yeah, Charlotte. They want to make the Hornets into a great team, if that makes any sense. And they're willing to do so through actually playing with effort. It's not just about what they do on the offensive side of the court. Like defensively, they put in work with Melo, active hands in, in the passing lane. Like I said, Bridges, to me, is one of the better defenders in the league. PJ is a good defender. Malik Monk, 1v1, you is not bad. Like they've, they've got a number of guys in the team who just play hard. So it's not just that they're fun. They play hard as well. And I think that's, yeah, they're, they're definitely the best league pass team I've seen in a in little while. Um, I haven't seen a bad so far. Definitely league pass champions. Uh, we've talked about them on the pod Sorry, that's my fault. Too much maybe for a scene that size, but they've just been that good. And I think you make a really good point there about sort of obviously MJ, Michael Jordan owning it. He's been a, some of the decisions have, have maybe been a bit uh, questioned and everything like that. But if you actually look at the people who are putting this run together and this form together, Kemba, not paying Kemba was see that was derided league-wide. Everyone was like, how can you do that? He's done so much for your franchise, rare, rare, rare. He wanted the Supermax. They didn't want to give him the Supermax. Kemba's not worth a Supermax. Instead, they go and draft LaMelo. But it's not just LaMelo. They drafted PJ Washington, who was a very, very good pickup. They drafted Cody Martin. They drafted Malik Monk. And then, obviously, LaMelo. So, that's that's four of their rotation that have been drafted in and are, are putting good numbers up, good performances up. And then you've got people like Hayward, who, again, completely derided too much money, but look, a franchise outside, you've got, you got to overpay and it's, it's paying dividends. Now, Jeff mentioned Phoenix and rising from the Ashes side. I think we'll finish here in terms of good surprises. Phoenix finished the halfway point of the NBA season, second place in the Western Conference. 
speak generally, but my big question, and I asked this on the Twitter as well, and the poll was back in Phoenix. People have been talking about Utah deservedly because of the record and the run and everything like that as how legit are they in the playoffs. But how legit are Phoenix? I don't think they're getting the same chat about they're here to stay now as a one, two, three seed. What sort of problem are they going to be for people in the postseason? So how legit are they? And how much of a surprise have they been? So funnily enough, they're not that big of a surprise for me because I've had my spotlight on them since since basically they signed CP3. Um, did I expect them to be the second seed? No. But, I mean, even, even the stand-ins show that there's not much space between one and five, pretty much. Like, at any given time, these stand-ins can change. Um the thing about Phoenix, and, and it's good that you bunch them in with the Utah Jazz, is they're, they're just playing purist basketball. There's no, there's no moment watching them where you feel like it's Booker or, or, or bust or CP3 or bust. Everybody is contributing. Everyone's playing hard on both sides of the floor, and they're just well-balanced and a well-oiled machine. The fact of the matter is, is... I think when you when you look at say Devin Booker's career over the last few years, he's sort of gone under the radar as maybe just a good scorer. But the guy's IQ is supreme. Um, he's he's a very very good playmaker now. He links well with pretty much every other component of that team. Um, literally, the only disappointing aspect of them is DeAndre Ayton. And I mean, ultimately, they're still managing to win games and they're still astute enough defensively where the spotlight isn't isn't necessarily on him as much as it maybe would have been had they been uh, sixth or seventh seed. Um, so yeah, man, they're 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 doing what they're doing what I sort of hoped they would do. Um, but I would say, like, come playoff time, I think they're going to be one of the more difficult teams to face. We've seen CP3 at uh, OKC basically carry them over the line and make them probably the the most dangerous team up until the point where they got eliminated. Um, and yeah, I just hope it can continue because that, that will make the Western Conference a hell of a lot more interesting if if they can maybe uh, take a few games from the Lakers or take a few games from the Clippers uh, in the second or third round. So it, they'll, they'll be an interesting team to watch. I'm, I'm going to call it, I'm going to coin it the Jay Crowder effect because I've said it about Utah as well, but the Suns really do remind me at times of Miami last year where they're just moving the ball, hitting their shots. Um, and then the savviness of sort of a Jimmy is parallel to a CP3 coming in and, and mentorship and not not allowing games to get away from them. And then you pair it with some good young talent. Jeff, just as a, as a long-time watcher as well, we've already talked Knicks, we've talked Suns. Is it better for the league that these franchises with history and with with devoted fan bases that haven't seen much success in quite a long time are doing this well as opposed to someone like a New Orleans for example who I really like New Orleans I like their young core I've spoke on them previously as, as why you should care but the fan base just isn't really there it's very much a football city so is it good for the league that places like Phoenix and places like New York are basically relevant again? Yeah, yeah. Let's be let's be honest. Like the league needs certain teams to be good. If they're not, then everyone the NBA is a more enjoyable product when it feels like everyone's watching. And what I've realised over the past 
three, four years is that there's constant talk about ratings and this, that, and the third. It almost feels like people are trying to wait or, or they're waiting for that moment where the NBA gets back into, like, I don't know, peak 2010 type of, kind of viewership, you know what I'm saying, or maybe 2016 after the finals. I think it's one of those things where for it to get to that level, there's going to have to be... <sighs> It's hard if the Knicks are bad, the Bulls are bad, the Lakers are bad, the Suns are bad. Like, there's going to have to be a thing where a lot of the historical franchises are good again. And to be fair, a lot of them have been bad for a while. The Knicks have not been good my whole time watching them here. Like, bar maybe two, three years. Um, the Lakers haven't won a chip for 11 years apart from last year. Do you see what I'm saying? So, why? What's wrong with the, the the more historically good franchises being good again? Because basketball's cyclical anyway, so everyone's gonna get their chance. Even, even Boston, like arguably one of the bigger markets as well, spent what 2012 to 2015 being yeah, a rebuilding yeah. team as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, honestly, like, and I say this as a as a previous Lakers fan, who I I, I watched. Teams like Robert Sacre and, and Ryan Kelly. Uh, I saw those kind of front courts and Kendall Marshall in the back court. So I've seen my team be good, great, awful, good, great. And, you know, it's one of those things where that's how basketball works. That's how being a basketball fan works. And it's been good to see, I guess, like smaller markets um, do well for a while. But, yeah, what's wrong with, with the Knicks? being great again i'm sure everyone would love to even fans or, or people that aren't fans of those particular franchises i don't think there's ever been a Knicks lakers uh finals for instance like that would have the whole world watching whether the teams are, are, are like they were back in the 90s and the 80s or not do you see what i'm coming from that like, i think the nba needs that viewership and uh, there's no point in being almost like uh, what's the word um like, there's no point so just holding on to where it used to be and then and and not wanting to get to a point where everyone watches it again and it becomes what it was in the 90s when you know Michael Jordan was the biggest star in the world. So I'm coming from so yeah, no, no problems with personally. Um, I think another thing there that needs to happen as well, and it's is something that you can't just manufacture. I think it's gonna happen over the next three, four years, is you have people like LeBron and you have people like Chris Paul and you have all of these stars that people watch for who have they've grown up with and, and watched who are now 36 years old whereas you have people who have potential to be a face of the league like a Doncic like a Morant like a Tatum uh, like a Zion who just haven't been here long enough to really get that dedicated fan base that a Westbrook or a LeBron has so I think over the next three four years I think the league just needs to do a good job of putting these players in place for when Curry is 35, for when Dame is 34, for when LeBron is 40 and still playing, but on 20 minutes a night. Uh, yeah, so we'll see how that goes as well. Look, where there is winners, there are losers. So for all of these good surprises and good news stories, like the Knicks, like the Suns, all of that, there's some disappointments as well. So, Sai, who has just let you down a little bit this season? Oh, mate. So... Everyone knows I'm not well, the biggest fan. Well, well, hold on a minute. I think we might be going to someone you tipped to finish fourth. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know why. I don't know how. But I invested a few stocks in one Russell Westbrook. Um, it's, it's, it's not worked. It's not worked. I've got egg on my face. Say man. that, though. They've been creeping up. 
they went they on a little run back. where they won a few games, but it's still spooky out there, man. Like, who do they beat? Who do they beat come playoff times? I mean, if we're if we're looking at the Washington Wizards sort of standing within the league, they're 21st in offense, 27th in defense. It's not it's not good enough. Like, that's not playoff team worthy uh standings at, at all. Um They've had a couple scalps against bigger teams. They've had a scalp against us. Um, again, one one of those one of those sort of situations where you can't really put your finger on what's gone wrong. Um, Westbrook is dunking again. I guess that might be one of the things that boosts boosts morale around the place a little bit. But I don't know, man. Like for all the heroics of uh, Bradley Bill, for all of the triple doubles from Westbrook. Nobody else has really elevated to a point where I can confidently say that it's sustainable. Um, I had uh, Hachimura as one of the players to look out for in terms of most improved. And he's very much like at a similar level that he was last year. So there's just, for me, not enough there for them to really take that step to the next level. And they've, they've, they've massively disappointed. They won't be a fourth or fifth seed like I predicted. So... That's a disappointment. Jeff, Jeff, size sort of said there that they ain't going to beat no one in the playoffs. Do you, if they creep in as the eighth seed or the seventh seed, do you see them giving a Philadelphia or a Brooklyn some problems? No, but size are very, 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 that, that, what you're saying is you really believe that the Wizards, their third best player is Davis Bertans. They were going to be a fourth seed in the, in the East. I thought I genuinely believed that maybe, maybe, just maybe, one of the Russ Vengers was uh, giving some information that could translate uh, with a Bradley Bill next to him. Why not? Why couldn't they elevate up the standings? That's how, that sounds more like a personal problem. That 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 disappointment sounds more like you're you're disappointed that they're not what you thought they were going to be, but what you thought they were going to be. I don't know how you thought they were going to be that. I, I've contested this whole season when it comes to Wizards, actually. Um, a lot of people said they're a disappointment. First and foremost, they're like, I think, what is it, like 11 and 4 in their last 15 or something like that. I know they're 7 and 3 in their last 10. They're obviously getting a lot better. They had a lot of injuries to start the season. Um, the main thing for me is a lot of people felt that they were going to be a good team based on players that have not shown any reason for us to say, oh, these are will be a good team based on Russ and Bill. But Tans can shoot, but the, the Spurs couldn't get rid of him quick enough because he can't defend save his life. Um, Hachimura, I like him, but there's, right now it's, it's a very mid player. There's not much to him. Defensively, he's good. Offensively, he's got moments, but it's like neither of them are at anywhere near an elite level. Uh, Thomas Bryant's been out for half the season, but when, even when he was fit, Thomas Bryant is in nobody's top 10 top 15 centers in the league. Um, Raul Neto, role players around Russ and Bill. Their third best player, like I said, is Davis Bertans. You could argue the Hachimura. I don't know what you're trying to argue. Um, Robin Lopez. I mean, these are guys that are not, they're, 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 they're not scrubs, but they're not good NBA players. They're, they're just, they're probably league average at best. And even league averages is, is kind. Full I never ever saw it. If they get into the playoffs, which they will, they have a chance of winning the game against one of these teams and without fans in the stadium or stadium, sorry, in the in the arena. If that's what it will be, um, 
yeah, do they have a chance of winning the series? No, not really, obviously. Um, I don't think the Wizards have a chance of being good full stop until they actually build like a proper team around Russ and Bill, if that's what they, they're looking to go with. Really and truly, they should blow it up and, and, and send Russ in his way. And I say that as like the biggest Russ stand out there, but, you know, they're not really going anywhere quickly. And I feel like Bill's Wiz is going to be on the verge of leaving, maybe not leaving, leaving until they're, they're good enough, which they probably won't ever really be because they're the Wizards, no disrespect. But, you know. Yeah, I mean, so, the, thing, the, thing on, the thing on the timing there is bang on with you in that Russ is 32 now. And as I think yeah. a year, two years left, Bill has a year and then an option. So two years left. And he might take it because he's such a loyal guy. But th- those guys have a shelf life of 18 months maybe left. Or two yeah. years at best. So I, I don't know what the plan is really there. But you said that you think they're going to make that out of the play-in. So who loses out for you in the East, Jeff? Because you've got Philadelphia, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Miami, and Boston, who you assume would be five places. You 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 think they beat out the Pacers, the, the Raptors, the, Hornets the, won't make the Hawks? The Hornets won't make it. I, I don't see the Hornets legitimately making it. Um the paces are fugazi to me. Um, if they make the playoffs, they, they won't win more than a game or two anyway. Um, definitely win the series. I think the paces will get there just because they always do. But I think they're not, again, like that is what they do. They finish fifth and then they go home. That's just and that's, that's, that's what my maths was. Uh, just for clarity, I did have the Wizards as a fifth seed, not a fourth seed. <laughs> part, part, part of that was because of the fact that the Raptors are in a bit of a situation where they're clearly, they're clearly sort of between rebuilding and just staying steady as a playoff team. Um, there's a lot of change that I anticipate will happen with that squad at some point. Um, then when you look at teams like Atlanta, they were they were one of those teams I sort of looked at as, as a potential ape seed. Um, Indiana, I didn't have making the playoffs just by virtue of the fact that, I mean, they, they embody that sort of some of its parts type of mentality. Um, but as, as has always been proven in the NBA, stars have a way of overcoming those teams. Um, so that, that was how I sort of calculated it. But again, it's, it's, it's one of those weird ones. I didn't expect them to be this bad. I right. think, yeah, I, I get you. And I think maybe you're being a bit harsh now on someone you think is a top six point guard in the league and Malcolm Brogdon not getting the paces to the playoffs. Hey, but listen, <laughs> anyway, uh, Jeff, you, you, you make a good point that the Wizards aren't a disappointment by nature of the expectations shouldn't have been that high anyway. Who do you think has really, really under-delivered on what was expected of them in the preseason? Pelicans, because I thought they'd be a lot better. Um, and not just like in a side way, like in a way where they've actually got players where they should be better than they are. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I guess it's a bit like side says almost as well. The players they have don't necessarily fit what they are. They're almost like a sum of parts, but they're not at the same time because there's a lot of square pegs in, in round holes. My biggest issue with the Pelicans is that they're too talented overall to be anywhere near where they are. Their records are like 15 and 21. I mean, that that's just bad. That's just bad. There's, there's too many teams, even the Warriors who aren't. I know they've got Steph. But if you if you stack those squads up against each other, like the Pelicans are far off, but the Warriors, who teams are keen on Steph and asking the others to beat them, last I checked were 19 and 18 at the time this goes out anyway. 
like the Pelicans are like 15 and 20, 15, 21. That's you're, not good you're, enough. You're bang on Especially the, if you've got... You're bang on the 15 and 21, which is exactly the same record as OKC, who basically yeah. came into this year with zero expectations. Yeah. Shai Gilgis Alexander has been amazing in dragging them and just sort of showing, and Lou Dort, showing that they're, they're coming with all their war chest of assets and everything like that and two good young players. But the Pelicans with Zion, with Ingram, with Lonzo, depending on your opinion, Lonzo, I think he fits next to Zion a lot better now. Extending Stephen Adams, yeah. Bledsoe as a perennial playoff player. Again, say what you want about him, but the stature of the players they have, they should not be level with a team who came into this season saying "fuck it" like OKC. Do you know yeah. what? I've never seen it with. I've never seen it with uh, the way that this Pelicans roster is constructed. It's, it is literally just a mishmash of assets. I mean, they've got a a coach who's renowned for being this defense guy, but they're second bottom in defensive rating. So something is not translating to these players. I think with with the fact that they are high energy, youthful, uh, offensive prospects, I think that has sort of that's sort of taken away from from the fact that ultimately they don't I don't think any of these players really have built up the level of basketball IQ yet or even been forced down a position where they just say, okay, cool, let's just play the game the right way. It is very individualistic and they are banking a lot on Zion and Ingram sort of carrying them over the hump. There have been improvements in ball. Uh, he's obviously a proficient shooter now. Um, but as long as you have guys like Stephen Adams on the roster, JJ Redick, uh, Josh Hart, Eric Bledsoe, like these, these guys who basically need to... They need to be in a system that actually has clear and defined roles in order to get the best out of them. As long as you still keep playing just to the individual talents of Zion and Ingram, I think you're always going to be a little bit behind the curve, if you will. Whereas, as, as mentioned, teams like OKC, because they, don't, they only have that one standout piece, it's very easy to just say, okay, cool. The rest of you guys, you do this, and then Shay you go about your business and you win us games when when needed. Uh, the Pelicans haven't figured out that balance yet. I think I think I'm going to be even harsher on them than than you because I had quite I had some expectations of them being like knocking on the door on the on the eighth seed and everything like that. Which they they're not out of it, you know, playing and stuff. But I'm going to be even harsher on Van Gundy in that for me, if that guy did not have a fit Zion Williamson turning into a top 20, 25 player in the NBA this season. He would be out of a job. Their, their, their offense half the time is give it to Zion and he will just collapse the defense and make everything happen. Ingram's done his thing, but without the space in there for Ingram, he found it tough. He's had to work very, very hard for buckets because you've got Bledsoe, Adam, Zion on the floor together at any one time. It's very weird. Like, if it wasn't for Zion, they would be in the absolute mud. They're all, look, put it this way. They're only eight wins better off than Minnesota, the worst team in the league. Without Zion, they probably don't get half of those wins, and we're, we're they have a new coach, Gentry or whatever's back there. I don't know. <laughs> Something happens with a coaching change. Um, just before we get into certain uh, sort of awards, mid-season awards, who if the season was to end today, where people would finish? Jeff, I'll let you just finish off with one more quick disappointment because I know you had a few. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't have your team. Uh, listen, you know what it is with Celtics with anything? Um, there's been years when you've been good to great and I haven't quite understood why. 
like the year that Kari went down and went all the way to ECF. If ideas can value one fit, like the following year, and then got dumped out in five games pretty quickly. And then you've had years like last year, we got to the, the conference finals. And I remember even at the time of the 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 the, the playoffs, a lot of us were talking about it. And I was always not harsh on the Celtics, but I remember I said all the time, like I, I don't quite see it. Like I don't see it so far as the chip is concerned. I didn't even see it so far as them getting past the Raxes was concerned because I felt like they had to do too much to get their buckets. And I think a lot of that is just kind of collapsing them this year. Um, it, it's almost too obvious. That, and I feel sorry for Kemba because this isn't the way it was supposed to go. It wasn't supposed to go this way where it becomes the thing where he goes to a like a, a, a storied franchise and all of his weaknesses become so glaringly obvious. But it's, it's peak. There's no other way of putting it. It's actually peak. Like you watch Kemba and you're like, yo, this guy is... It's not even that he's out of his depth, but he's not good. He's not good anymore. Whether the injuries are caught up, wherever it might be, their headlights, I don't know what it is, but he's not good. And, and ultimately, that, that Kemba for Kyrie swap is only continuing to trend downwards so far as the team is concerned. And now it's got them in the point where, last I checked, you were barely 500. You might be a game over 500 now. So... This is not the Celtics. I get this. Not quite a regular season, but this isn't how the, the Celtics were meant to, to to hit the halfway mark. I know they've missed players. I know smart. I'm not even sure smart's back. I'm not caught the last couple of Celtics games, but um, I know they they've had injuries. I know they've had this uh, disharmony because of um, just shit happening in the camp. Like obviously the Tatum interview that you could hear. Stevens having a goal, whoever it was in the in the in the background. Um, it's obvious that there's this harmony there, but I don't even see that as a big deal. Like stuff like that, people cry about that hard. That happens all the time uh, at clubs in, in every professional sport going, but the, the 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 actual product on the court is not good right now. Um or at the very least it's sketchy. And yeah, the Celtics are about to be in that really weird place they don't want to be in where they're no they're not good enough to be the top two or three teams in the East, but they're never going to be a lottery team. And if they end up hovering at five to eight forever, that's basketball help. A lot of fans will tell you. And and I don't think that's what the, the, the Celtics ever want to be, but you've got to be careful. Um, I know you didn't like the fact that they would have traded for Harden. I told you, bro, you get something like Harden, you just got to make that trade, even if it's just for the optics of you as a, as a basketball club or whatever. Like, if you're the Celtics, you, you try and get those guys when they're available and hope they resign. If they don't, cool, you move on. Like, you reload. But not making the player him, you've got Brown and Tatum there, and it's not that they don't mesh, they do. But there's something missing. I don't know what it is, but I felt for a while that there's something missing within that tandem there where it's like, even though they're both what you want so far as wing players are concerned, there's something there that's missing. It's like there's missing, there's someone that needs to, to give them that final spark. Kemba's not giving it to them. And if you're not careful, you're going to end up wasting those two. I think you almost make a move. Like, it's not Tatum, it's obviously Brown. But at some point, I think Danny Ainge's got to be really brave and just say, all right, cool. If we're going to be like, great again not good not almost good not very good but not great if we're going to be like great again we've got to make a move that basically allows us to say all right cool we've got two bona fide superstars he didn't make with harden 
you didn't make it with a couple of guys. And I'm just wondering if they've missed that window. Even though those two guys are still really young, have they missed that window where they can now take that jump with one of them and become a great team? I think I think you've touched on a lot of interesting points there for the Celtics, which I'll I'll give you my thoughts on them. Number one, I think the problem we I had is similar to the Wizards, and then they're not a disappointment for me because coming into the season, I'm on record as saying sixth or seventh. And I thought this season was always going to be tough to replace Hayward's output last year. And then I'm not I'm not a Kemba guy. And then we've got this trade exception, which could very easily go unused. They'll have to use it with something just for the cap, just to have an extra 30 million on the sheet. But I reckon we might end up just using that on three little depth guys or whatever. What I would say in defense yeah. is as much as it's a bad roster, We've, we've probably had to rejig more in the last four years than anyone stemming from the Hayward injury, which just threw a lot up in the air. Then Brown and Tatum come out and you're like, all right, well, we have to build around these guys now. Then Kyrie leaves and it's like, well, let's just get in the closest we can with Kemba here. So I think, I think it's a weird flux situation for the Celtics. But the most interesting point that you've brought up, which is one that I've been slyly bringing up to people, I don't think Brown and Tatum do work very well on the show. Yeah. Well, I, I think there's too much overlap. I, said. I, I don't I even I, said that they don't make they don't make players better. I, no, like, well, I see, no, see, I disagree with that. I think they do make players I think better. Makes, I think Brown makes players better. I think Tatum. I think, has I think they both have potential to, to make players role. better. Tatum's passing has taken a real, real leap. I don't think they make each other better. That's my main issue. Their their skill set overlap. Yeah, that was I was gonna say. So I think it's tosh. Yeah. The, the the way I look at it is, and this is something that me and Yaz have spoken about. Like, I think when when you have so much change over the course of uh, a four year spell, in terms of your sort of cornerstone of your championship window going down in the first game of the season, and then the other guy sort of missing the playoffs. When, when you have that type of situation and then you have your young pieces all elevate to a standing where they can get you deep into the playoffs, that's the point where you need to make a decision on where the direction of your franchise is going to go. Because having a spoil of riches causes these weird dynamics where you've got the young young superstars or young budding superstars versus the old veteran superstars and no one really knows whose team this is. And with such an intimate sport, you need to have a clear and obvious direction of who it is that's going to lead you over the line, who it is that you're building yeah. around. And I think the Celtics yeah. on two occasions have missed, missed out on how to do that. Hayward realistically should have been told earlier than last season, all right, cool, this is going to be your role. We either trade you or you're going to commit to, to signing an extension or re-signing with us in free agency. But that never occurred. So now you're in a situation where your roster has been depleted. You lost two players last season. You've not replaced them. So now you're literally in a situation where it's Tatum Brown, maybe smart leading your franchise. Kemba's a bust pretty much. Like, well, Do you know what? Kemba's fine, just not for the amount of money he's commanding. And, and finally with Kemba, I think he's probably the only 30, 31-year-old max player who is very happy to give this team to Tatum and Brown. So there's an interesting dynamic, which is good there. You need to be from the bench if, if that's yeah, the case. I, I, I would, ideal world, money's not an issue. Kemba, I would make our Lou will, but you know, the max thing means that he has to play. But but I think I think they 
them two are fantastic. And I can see why the Harden thing, Jeff, didn't happen because Danny Ainge has just been burned by Kyrie leaving after two years and then having to rebuild again. Harden is much better than Kyrie, in my opinion. And I think he can transform a team more than Kyrie can. But I can see why culturally they were just like, let's just not do that again after, after it just happening. But I think the Tatum Brown thing is definitely something to watch. I think you have two wings who overlap. They don't, whether it's Stevens or them, the sets and the plays don't really, they don't work together really. Like Jokic and Murray work together. Uh, Zion and Lonzo have really started clicking together. So you compare them amongst young, young talents, young duos, even older duos, LeBron and AD work together. Uh, Kyrie and Durant or Harden and Durant or Harden and Kyrie, they work together. Drew and uh, Yanis, Yanis and Bledsoe. It, they, you can run a two-man game. There's no evidence of a two-man game at all with Tatum and Brown. And I think that is that is a problem to keep an eye on. The other thing, Jeff, is that superstars who are available, the only real guy is Bradley Beal. And if you move Brown for Beal, I don't think that moves the needle. You, I think you, Beal's you, a better you, player, but he's, it's not going to move. No, it's, it, it, it's, it, it's the same, basically. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, 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 hear you're I think Harden is the one. But after Harden, I think, yeah, like, I hear you. There's not that much out, out there to get. Um I just feel like... But it's, 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 yeah, it's a good point. It's, yeah. it's, it's disappointing in where the franchise clearly wants to be. Look, we'll finish up just with some mid-season awards. These things will probably change, but it's interesting to see where people are. So what I'm just going to ask for you both now is just list me from MVP down to Rookie of the Year, Coach of the Year, Sixth Man, Most Improved Player and Defensive Player of the Year. Si, I'll let you go first because Jeff needs to collect his thoughts maybe. Um Firstly, I've seen a preview of your lists and I'm disgusted that Nikola Jokic is not MVP for you both yet. But listen, I get it. You just, you're just waiting for Philly to drop a few games and Denver take him over in the standings so you can't get that argument against it. I understand. So, Sai, MVP, Rookie of the Year, Coach of the Year, Sixth Man, Most Improved and Defensive Player of the Year. Hit me. MVP, Joel Embiid, two-way. Halfway MVP, because Jokic obviously will, you know. Nah, like, he's got that shit sewn up, man. Rookie of the year is a funny one. Obviously, Lamelo is like the the front runner. Um, but if I was to pick, it would probably be Halliburton, just because I think his IQ, what he does on both sides of the floor, and the fact that he's not just all glitz and glamour, he is sheer production across the across the board. It's a tough one. Obviously, Lamelo edges it because of the highlight plays and all of that. But Halliburton is a very close second for me. Uh, Coach of the year, I've got as a draw at the minute, man. Quinn Schneider and Monty Williams. I think it's no coincidence that both of these guys have the one and two best records in the NBA. Um, I had Monty Williams as my front runner in the prediction, so I'm glad to see the Suns doing what they're doing. Um, six man, Jordan Clarkson, pretty much every other six man has been on either a losing team or a team that's been disappointing. Um, most improved Julius Randle um, Jeremy Grant is in and, in and amongst that conversation but the record is just not good enough there's only so much improvement you can show when you're on a team that can't win a game um, and defensive player of the year Ben Simmons one through five pretty much in this, this NBA um, he doesn't look like he's going to slow down he looks like he's gearing towards winning it as well. It seems like that's his primary focus. 
Um, so I've got to tip my hat to the young fella, man. He's been balling out. I hear that. I hear that. Jeff, what were you saying? MVP down to DPOY. We, we spoke about this. I'm, I'm not prepared at all. Like, I, I've got an MVP for you, MB, uh, and the rookie of the year, Lamelo. outside of that. What else is there? What, what else? Well, you, you came to me with Defensive Player of the Year, Miles Turner. Miles Turner? Yeah, that was a joke, man. Of course, Miles, Miles Turner's not actually the Defensive Player of the Year, no. All right, all right, cool. Because yeah, I'm not, I'm not a huge Miles Turner guy. What, what would you, what would you say, Randall most improved, or do you see anyone else for that? Yeah, sir, certainly, uh, yeah, Randall. Like, yeah, there's, there's, there's nothing else to it, Randall. I think it's pretty obvious. Size, size, gone very much top of the standing. Uh, to be honest, I think six man is the most bona fide sewn up of all of these. Jordan Clarkson's leading that by a yeah, easy. I think, easy, easy. Yeah. I think rookie of the year as well is pretty sewn up. Um, I'd I'd go with Ben Simmons if I'm honest, defensive player of the year potentially, just because Rudy Gobert has been absolutely battered by every guy he's faced his size, which doesn't bode well. Um, but I'm interested, Jeff, would you say coach of the year? Sire's gone very top of the table here with the first and second records, uh, Monty Williams and Quinn Snyder. But I feel like there's been so many good coaching jobs. I think Borrego in Charlotte's been a great job. Tibbs has been a great job. I think Donovan in Chicago has done a great job. Um, I mean, I think Doc, Doc Rivers has done a good job as well, to be fair, in terms of just writing the ship after the Brett Brown. Made. I think there's been a lot of good coaching jobs. Who would you have coach of the year? Probably Monty, if I'm honest with you. Uh, Monty. Um, I don't know about Borrego. A lot of a lot of uh, Charlotte fans don't seem to like him that much. They feel like there should be a change there at the end of the season regardless. Um, something to do with his rotations and what have you. So I'm not too sure about him. But I would go Monty pretty, pretty clearly. I mean, second best record in the West is, is, is a lot, a lot a lot crazier than we ever really anticipated. Like, I, th I thought it was going to be a good record, but I didn't think it was going to be second in the West, but nowhere near it, in fact. So, yeah, um, I'd, I'd go with Monty. Um, second, Dibs. Third, probably Doc. I think Doc deserves, like, even though... One, one thing about, about Doc is that I appreciate that even though he's got his flaws, especially as he's developed as time has gone on, um, I'm also appreciative of the fact that when he when he gets into a team or when he gets into a club, he sets the foundation very quickly, and then from there everything sort of like branches out. Um, he did that with the Clippers when he first got there in terms of like, all right, this is my foundation as far as Blake is concerned, CP3, DeAndre, da 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 da. He's doing the same here. Um, obviously the same in, in Boston as well. I get that he goes places where he's given like great players. But even when he gets there, he still sets a foundation which they 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 tend to build from from there, at least within the regular season. That has to be respected. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. Before the Harden trade, I actually on our sort of preseason predictions, whatever, I had Sixers coming out of the East, just because I thought Brett Brown already had them in the playoffs, and Brett Brown in the last two years was just a bit of a mare, to be honest. So if you had Doc Rivers, I think he's almost like the perfect personality for an Embiid as well for a Simmons just and he's got them both locked in and playing amazing stuff um 
I've, I've changed on that a little bit now. The Harden trade, and I also think Philadelphia need to make a move at the wing. But yeah, I think Doc Rivers is maybe not getting enough mention for the job that he's doing there. Just even if it is more man management, I still think he's been fantastic. All right, listen, boys, that's what we've got time for today. Thank you for joining me as ever our 50th episode. Big claps all round. I know you put in the hard graph for all those, Jeff, but you know, you're here to smell the roses now that now that we hit the big 5-0. Uh, Wednesday's episode, we've talked a lot about what has happened. Wednesday's episode, we're going to touch on what will happen. So, boom, we're going to be going over that second half of the season. MVP uh, shouts as well from new people coming on, but also let's talk playoffs. Let's talk who is going to make what. Let's talk who is going to do what. And let's talk who is going to fall apart, which is always way more funnier than who does well. Listen, boys, again, blessed for the time, blessed for the effort. This has been Courtside Fracker, and we will see you all Wednesday evening. Sports Social Podcast Network.